Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Welcome, everybody, back to the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Golden. I have my co-host, Matt, here with me. And, of course, special guest for game week, week one, looking ahead against the Baltimore Ravens. We have Mr. James Wickhouse here, also of Jets X, Jets X Factor. James, thank you so much for joining us. We are so excited to get to break down this game with you here as well. Go ahead and tell the people about the article you just had come out today on Zach Wilson. I'm very excited to get through that and get to the video, but I certainly want to hear you talk about it first. Yeah, thanks guys for for having me on. It's been, I think, since uh, right before the draft uh, that we kind of got together here. So thanks for thinking of me and, and having me on. And yeah, I did. I released the, uh, a piece on Jets X Factor this morning, uh, Zach Wilson. So I, I went ahead and created a little bit of a corny acronym for what I think he needs to do a whole lot better, um, you know, to improve in, in 2022 and kind of take advantage of, of the offensive firepower that Joe Douglas has kind of put around him here. So that acronym is CPR. Um, and, and I'll just quickly go through them. And, um, you know, the C is comfortability and creativity. Uh, the P is progression and protection. And then the R is read and rhythm. Um, so just, just kind of stuff that's more feel of the game rather than, you know, your, your analytical chart, look at, at certain numbers and things like that. So, uh, pretty excited about it, but an hour and 40 minutes of, of Zach Wilson, uh, Zach Wilson film from, from his rookie season. Yeah, that is awesome. I can't wait to get through the whole video and the whole hour and 40 minutes myself and really dig into what he needs to focus on. But you're right, just on a base principle level, it's taking care of the football and maximizing the skill talent that is surrounding him. And the Jets haven't been this talented at the skill positions in decades. Uh, It's been that long since they've had this talent and speed, really, at, at every position. And for Zach in particular, 
you know, you don't want him to be too cliche. You don't want him to be too much of a game manager. You still want him to not be a robot and be himself, but you got to let him at some point, it's just get the ball out of your hands and let these guys go to work. So I'm completely agree with you there. And I think it's going to be a big point, whether it's Wilson or Flacco playing on Sunday, which apparently now there's a chance for that. Uh, big question to, mark. Yeah. It's a big question mark. Matt, tell us about that. Cause that was news to me. Yeah. So, uh, the the staff is kind of hinting towards maybe a Zach comeback for week one. Uh, it's not exactly sure. They're waiting to see uh, if he feels 100%. Uh, I think this is all a red herring, uh, and there's no way he's going to start. Uh, I think people have been sleuthing uh, on, on his uh, social media and his friend's social media, and it doesn't seem like they think that. He's 100%. Uh, so I don't think this is happening. I think it's going to be Flacco all the way. Uh, but you know what? Whatever. Gamesmanship. Let it, let the Ravens think whatever they're going to think for as long as they're going to think it. And we'll see what happens week one. Yeah, that's going to be the question. And, and, you know, it definitely is an awkward situation when you have a guy that's your starter that's going into his second year that you took second overall that you want to succeed, that you're hoping to see the improvement that apparently he made over the summers, all the coaches and staff have said, and he's coming back from this injury and you want to make sure that he's ready. But at the same time, you don't want to you know, hold him back and he's got to be able to grow on his own. And you got to basically say if he's ready, then he's got to go out and play. But at the same time, if that's giving him three days to prepare, is that giving him the best opportunity to be his best self? When Flacco is assumed to be the starter pretty much since Wilson hurt his knee and he's had these handful of weeks taking the first team reps, game planning for, for the Ravens amongst the other teams they've played in the preseason, uh, you know, I really think that at the end of the day, I think you're right, Matt. I think that is Wilson getting better? Is he healthier and practicing and potentially improving? Yeah, sure. I'm sure that's all true. Are they going to go out and say, oh, you know, he might start just to throw the Ravens off a little bit? Yeah, I think that's possible. But in reality, I think it's going to be Flacco. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't even think he's practicing. I think he's just working out and maybe yes. doing meetings. Yeah, I, I think I don't think he's been um, I don't think he's been practicing more so just I mean, we saw him last what well, last week he was like driving a cart around practice. Um, <laughs> so so I'm I'm fully expecting to walk into MetLife Stadium on Sunday and have Joe Flacco as as the starting quarterback. And, you know, it's a 17 game season. I mean, you know, I know, you know, I, we we get so excited about the opener because it's the first one. But, you know, what can that extra you know week do for for Zach to where listen if he's starting in week two and he and he's fully healthy and he plays a total of 16 games I, I think we're gonna still have a pretty good idea of what we're looking at by you know by season's end um and I don't think I don't think you ruin that opportunity you know for for a guy who maybe is just potentially not ready yeah I completely and totally agree and I think another point that I want to make on top of that is he's going to have situations later in the season where he has to get into the rhythm of going through a game week. And that starts at the beginning of the week. And so if he's going to be going through a workout Wednesday, maybe to be cleared to practice and practice Wednesday and say, he's able to get through it, then he gets Wednesday practice, Thursday practice, Friday practice, you know, whatever they might do in between and doesn't have the time in between at the start of the week. He's basically rushing to get back after rehabbing. Now he's getting in practice shape. It's his first bit of practicing again and getting used to that. 
where's he going to have time to focus and game plan for Baltimore, which is such a complex and talented defense. It's not like this is, you know, a cupcake they're going against. And I'm not saying you should be worried about, you know, some teams over others. It's the NFL. Every team is good. Every team has talent. But with this type of scheme in particular, I really think that it would benefit him a lot more to get the opportunity to be fully healthy, start a week fresh, go ahead and say, okay, it's Monday after the Ravens game. Zach Wilson's healthy. He's been cleared. He's going to be our starter, you know, next Sunday at Cleveland. And he gets the whole week to plan things out, take the first team reps, you know, go over the film from the last week from the other offense and see what he can do differently or improve on or replicate. And I just, like you said, James, it's a long season. And they're going to have 16 games after this one on Sunday where Wilson is going to be presumably playing quarterback for most of them. I think it's really important to give him, you know, get him started off the right momentum and in the right trajectory in week two, rather than trying to rush him for week one for that one game. Exactly. I completely agree. And just to go back to James's CPR, how can we expect him to get into any kind of game rhythm if we can't even get him into any kind of rhythm throughout the week? It's just, a, a mistake waiting to happen if they if they rush him out there. Yeah, I I think rhythm wise. And sorry, I don't I don't mean to beat a dead horse here, but you know, uh, rhythm wise, um, I, I'm, I'd be worried as well, right? You, you you talk about the preparation or the lack thereof before uh you know before an NFL game week against the Baltimore Ravens, um, but you also kind of think about where Zach left off in the preseason, why we're in this spot in the beginning. He you know inaccurate on his first throw. Um, you know, through, through a pick, whether it was lazy or well, however, it, however it occurred, it was a really bad interception. Um, and then shortly after that, he, you know, he makes a decision that he's going to, you know, play Michael Vick in a preseason game and, and try to make a move. And whether you think that's right or wrong, however it worked out, you don't want him pressing immediately to almost feel like he has to make up for the last four weeks of, of what kind of exactly. occurred before that. You mm-hmm. don't want him to be like, I now have to be the guy on every single play and it's me or it's nobody. And not to say he has that kind of personality, but you can, that can get to you when the game juices are flowing, you know, you're excited. You got those, you know, those jitters before the game. And, you know, would it be a terrible thing if Joe Flacco goes out there week one, Zach's in the press box and he just sees, you know, Joe Flacco taking the easy throw, you know, dink and dunk and letting these guys play. And then all of a sudden Zach goes into week two and he's like, Hey, listen, I don't have to be Superman. I could just fit right into this offense. Yeah, I I completely agree. And the other point I wanted to make, and this is the last thing I want to talk about Zach specifically before we get into game planning for the Ravens, where we're assuming it's going to be Flacco. But this is the one thing I've worried about Zach. And I'm hoping that it's something that this time off and him getting injured maybe gave him extra time to focus on. Not that he wouldn't have seen it, you know, without him getting injured. But the one thing I'm worried about with him, and it's one thing we've seen from the coaches, we've heard from them, we've heard from other players, we've heard from other quarterbacks uh, around the league who have played in the system or fans of Zach Wilson or anything in between. And the one thing they all say is, oh, he's got to improve, get better in structure. He's got to, you know, focus on his playmakers, like you said yourself, James. And all of that is true. I don't want you to think for a second that I'm disagreeing with anything you said, because I'm not. I just wanted to expand on it a little bit. Mm And the one point that I want to add to it is that he can't hyper focus on being the robotic game manager. And that's what happened on his pick against the Eagles where it's, Oh, I have my read. I don't have to be overthinking. I'm checking this flat defender on this high low and and this linebacker flies out with the running back and there's going to be space for Corey Davis. And he never even peeks at the linebacker to see if he's breaking. 
He just stares down Corey and he gives the linebacker Kazir White time to get over and pick the ball off. You need to find that balance between getting the ball out quick, not overthinking, not trying to take in too much information, trusting the system. And with this system in particular, it's completely and totally progression based where when they have a play call, they think every play call is an answer against man and zone. And they'll be able to go if it's man. Okay, we'll look this way. If it's zone, if it's this type of zone, this is what we think we should have an answer. If neither of those are right, throw it to the check down, get the best you can. That's their offense. But there has to be some amount of I can't 110 percent trust that the offense is always going to be right every time. And it's that confirmation Mm -hmm. of let me make sure what I'm doing is correct. And that's about getting into a rhythm. So that's where I think it goes back to game week. It goes back to practice. It goes back to starting off on a good foot and giving him an entire week of a healthy week, not just getting back up to get practicing, to be healthy, start practicing, know he's going to be the starter and go through everything the right way so that he avoids getting in that I need to be robotic and I don't need to do too much state and ends up having, you know, overcorrecting the other way. And I don't I do think he would have seen that. So I'm confident that that's not going to happen. But that's my only fear. Completely agree. No, absolutely. You're right. Um, yeah, that, that was kind of uh, very, very quickly. Uh, the reason I, I I bunched together the comfortability and the creativity at the same time, because I, I, you know, you want him to you want him to be able to, you know, feel like he's he, you're kind of taking what the defense is giving you and, and you you get into that comfortability state. Yeah. But you have to have it in the back of your mind that you were blessed with some pretty awesome talent and, you know, don't be afraid to be creative at the same time. Don't be afraid. You have to be able to mix that in. You're doing yourself and probably the the offense a disservice. If you're just, you know, like you said, a kind of a robotic, you have to have that in the back of your mind that I I have the ability to say, okay, if one and two aren't there, Hey, I I can move out of the pocket. I can make something happen downfield if my guy, you know, it, it, you know, if, if my guys get open for me and, and stuff like that. So that's why I kind of also coupled those two together because I think they almost kind of work hand in hand, and that you can do one, but you can't forget about the other. I completely agree. I completely and totally agree. It's finding the balance of trusting the system and then being able to recognize when it didn't work. Because there's going to be some bad plays. Michael Flores said it himself that that's when they want to see Wilson use that creativity. It's when I call a bad play and I get us in a bad situation, that's when, you know, go be Superman and do what you can. But know the timing and know the time to do it. And I really hope that he focused on let me get through one to two to check down and, and get through my progressions. But at the same time, make sure what I'm doing is the right thing first. He has the arm strength to where he doesn't need to be the most anticipatory thrower in the world right now. He can take the extra half hitch and gun a ball in there and still make it okay because he can just throw the ball that hard. And I think getting a first couple of throws like that early, let him get into that rhythm so he's comfortable in what he's seeing. Later in the game, he's going to be ribbon darts. All right, guys, you want to get to this offense breakdown, looking ahead to what this offense can do under Flacco uh, going against this Baltimore defense? This is going to be a tough matchup. It's really going to be a hard matchup. Uh, this defense is full of studs, uh, from Cleus Campbell uh, to the secondary, where you have Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, Kyle Fuller. Uh, you just got a whole defense full of monsters, and I am very worried about our offense's ability to attack them. Uh, their run game looked stagnant and pretty much non-existent in preseason. Uh, it's not like 
these uh, this offensive line has had a lot more games between or any games at all to really build that chemistry to to really be the maulers that they want to be uh, along that offensive line. Uh, they did not look like they were in flow with each other at all. Uh, and it showed in the game and the production on the ground. Uh, pretty much all uh, rushing uh, production was self-made by the running backs. It uh, wasn't really much of a help from the offensive line. Uh, and if they can't get that going, it's going to put a lot, a lot of pressure on Flacco in the passing game. And like I said, they have Peters and Humphrey and Fuller. So really pressuring uh, these young guys to really go out there and battle it every single uh, pass play against the these the secondary is a tough task. Uh, but at the same time, you got to love the guys that we have. Like Moore and Wilson and, and Davis and Berrios, they make their money getting open and with their route running. So if I were to bet on any set of receivers to really put the work in and, and get open against these guys, it would be them. Uh, but that doesn't change the fact that it's a very tough task. Yeah, the the name for me that that kind of sticks out is, is Marcus Peters, um, and, and it sticks out. And I, I think he's questionable for Week One. I don't know if it's a if, if it's a total definite, but I'm I'm acting, especially if I'm the Jets preparing for this game. I'm I'm acting like he's out there, and he's one of those risk taker type of corners, right? It, it's kind of a you know he's either going to get the interception or you're probably going to see some plays where you know, where he gets, uh, where he gets beat, but you know, he's in the position he's in, uh, because those risks have kind of worked out more often than not. And those are the corners that you kind of have to worry about, especially if you're trying, you know, you're trying to get the ball deep downfield. Um, you know, he baits you on the outside. Um, you, you know, you have to worry, Flacco's got to worry there. I know he's got a strong arm to get the ball downfield. Uh, but a guy like Marcus Peters, you know, worries me kind of on that back end, Right. And then the guy probably up front, you know, Calais Campbell is, I think he's old, but he's, uh, you know, he's a solid, you know, still a solid football player. And like Matt said, you know, the, the run game didn't really give us all that much uh, to work with in, in the preseason. And I think that's okay. Um, but they have to find a way to establish that run. The first thing I wrote down, um, in, you know, in the preview, especially offensively in it, but it works both ways. is just line of scrimmage. Um, you know, you have to manufacture run plays that generate in positive yards more often than not. You have to stay ahead of the sticks. And I think where that also then turns into is just from a very general game preparation standpoint, if you can, you know, stay ahead of the sticks, get some first downs, you got to start winning the time of possession. The Jets have to start winning time of possession and turn that time of possession into points because we're going to talk about the defensive side of the football and what the, what, you know, what the Ravens have on the offensive side, but that time of possession has to turn into points. And then that turnover battle, you got to be weary of guys like Marcus Peters, guys like Marlon Humphrey, Kyle Hamilton. I know he's gotten his fair share of uh, uh, social media uh, burn over, over the course of the summer. Um, but those are guys that will burn you and take advantage of, opportunities they get to put the ball back in Lamar Jackson hand, Lamar Jackson's hand. So I think it's, I think it's good. It's going to be a fun matchup in terms of seeing what the jets can do now with Lakin Tomlinson up front and Elijah Vera Tucker going to the right side and you bring in Dwayne Brown, you know, what do these guys look in on game day? Does Brees give us that, that, that run early on that kind of just makes the stadium go, you know, go a little bit crazy. Then you generate that energy and you kind of flow from there. Um, but Line of scrimmage, time of possession, 
turnover battle. Got to win all of those here for, for the Jets on offense, really to keep number eight on that sideline as much as you can. Yeah, that's got to be the goal. Win time of possession gives you the best chance to win this game. If you don't win time of possession, the Jets aren't going to win. There's no way. There's just not a chance <laughs> the way this the, the Ravens offense works with how efficient they are in the ground game and the type of runs that they can call uh, and the counters off of it. And Lamar himself is a factor in. It's not just their running backs and their offensive line. You know, it, it's a recipe for disaster. And the problem is, you know, winning the line of scrimmage against the Ravens defense is easier said than done. And if you try and just go right at them based on what we've seen in the preseason, you know, hopefully there's been some improvement. Hopefully Dwayne Brown being there can be another part of that. But based on what we've seen in the preseason, the Jets aren't going to be a team where they're just going to be able to, you know, get under their pads, go right at this Ravens front and, you know, Calais Campbell and Travis Jones now as a rookie and, and Michael Pierce and, their linebackers and Adafi Owe and Patrick Queen and and any of those guys and just come right up, you know, up the gut and say, we're going to win and we're going to drive you off the line of scrimmage. So I think you have to do this a little bit differently. And sorry, my notes for this, uh, this game I had for offense and defense, offense specifically, I, my first two points, uh, and I have them back to back going hand in hand, run wide more than run inside. First off, if they just try and be the the angrier, nastier team on the inside and run duo and think we're going to dig Calais Campbell out of the hole, you're not. It's, it's not going to go well. So rather than trying to do that, especially with the Ravens and their two gapping and their base sets, they're going to they're very three, four through and through. Um, and if the Jets get into any 12 or 13 personnel sets, which we think are likely for their offense, there's a good chance that the Ravens are going to be in base. So if they're in base, their defensive ends and their nose tackles are going to be two gapping. They're not going to be trying to get up field, charge, get into the backfield and try and blow plays up. They're going to be trying to stand their ground, hold their place, not give up any ground and let their linebackers come through clean. So to me, you know, just like, you know, counters and, and various, you know, power runs can take advantage of aggressive linemen. I think you can call some plays with your run game that take advantage of linemen that want to stay where they are. I think this would be a great game to run some pin and pulls. If you're going to have these defensive ends, these five techniques, just sitting there two gapping and trying to hold ground, then let's bring, you know, Dwayne Brown from the left end on Calais Campbell and put Lakin Tomlinson right in front of him and keep him right in his spot. And we'll pull McGovern and AVT around to the front side and let them kind of crash everything down and get ahead of the block. I think you're going to have a lot more success doing that than you are going to be trying to go head first at these guys. Others, if you, you try and go head first at the Ravens, you're just asking for trouble. See, I, I love that idea. The thing is, I'm just so worried about these guys being able to put themselves in the right position at the right time uh, and then just following through as well. Uh, I, I haven't seen anything from them to say that says that they can yet. Until they do it, I don't believe they can. No, we have to see it in person for sure because we haven't seen it in person so far. Uh, and quite honestly, I think this could very well be a much better game for Michael Carter than Brees Hall, just because I think Michael Carter right now is so effective at making the first guy miss and reacting to when guys come free in the backfield that that's probably going to happen a couple of times. And Mike Carter's the type of guy that can turn, you know, a, a negative two into plus 15. Brees Hall can do that too. 
But Mike Carter is really good at, you know, at, at taking a busted play, not going down and making something out of it and finding the smaller gaps since he's a smaller running back to start with that a guy that's as big as Brees isn't going to be able to have the option to. That's why I'm hoping you can get Brees to the front side on some pin and pulls, give him a wider lane, and that's when he can do his thing. But this is going to be a tough time on the ground, but they have to have some amount of success. They can't just play pass all day and expect to win. Yeah, agreed. Uh, at the same time, it, I feel like the coaches know very well that this could be their weakness on the ground. Uh, and what do you think their best option is in the passing game? This is going to be really specific. And it was a note that I had from when I went back and watched the Dolphins Ravens game earlier today uh, in preparation for tonight when we were going through the matchup. I wanted to watch a game that wasn't a division game where a team beat the Ravens. Granted, it was a short week on a Thursday night, but the Dolphins, I think, won 22 to 10. Um, close game for most of the night, but it was really the Dolphins defense that stole the show and, and took the game away uh, from the Ravens overall. And they did that by being able to back off and play a lot of man coverage, which we'll get into that when we get into defense. But offensively, one thing that I saw that they did that I liked a lot is like you were saying at the start, Matt, the Ravens in their corners and the man coverage capabilities of the Ravens secondary, a lot of what the Ravens do, they do mix in some zone, but a lot of it is, you know, press coverage every now and again, but mainly it's going to be either press or about five yards off. They're never going to be really far back. They're never going to be, you know, nine, 10 yards off any receivers. They're going to be relatively close. So if you're trying to, especially against some of these blitzes that we're likely to see from the Baltimore defense, if you're trying to generate some easy yards, a lot of an option people would think would be screen passes. And so the option becomes what type of receiver screen do you run? Because there is a huge difference depending on whether it's man or zone. So this was another one of my points that I had written down. Tunnel screens, not bubble screens. If you're running man and you have these corners about five or so yards off or they're pressed up right on these receivers and you try and run a bubble screen to these guys, one, you're probably not going to have a numbers advantage. Two, you're going to have a corner. Whoever is in man on the bubble is going to be reading that receiver and going to pick that ball off every time. But if you run a tunnel screen and you get some blocking coming out to the front side and run a little bit of a pick where the wide receiver standing and get the receiver coming towards the ball. That corner that's either in press or five or so yards off, it's probably going to be playing a trail technique, thinking that receiver is going to be inside. They're not going to be able to get in front of the play like they would if it was a bubble screen. The receiver is going to be able to get to the ball faster, get a running start. And I think you can get some easy yardage off that for guys like Barrios or more Garrett Wilson. That would be, I think, a good way to start drives. Because I think you have to show the Ravens that you have man coverage beaters. You can't just prove that their corners can lock us up in man all day, and that's all they're going to do. That'll be it'll be like New England's game we've seen against the Jets before, where the Patriots just press outside and man coverage every single play, and the Jets have no shot. This can't be one of those games, and so you have to manufacture some touches for your guys in space to let them get uh, catch and run. I think tunnel screens would be a great way to do it. Yeah, if you uh, and the and the bubble screen also right, it, you have the factor of you know if they're playing five yards off, they're playing press. You know, not only you know potentially a turnover in terms of interception, you're really susceptible your guys to you know big hits, also fumbles there because if if you got an yep. aggressive corner, Marlon Humphrey, uh, watched them you know at at Alabama, great corner. If you get aggressive corners like that. Um, you know, they'll take full advantage. And if you got a guy playing receiver that is responsible for that block, more oftentimes than not, you feel like it just doesn't work. Um, and they either, you know, they're either, you know, um, 
they're either engaged with the wide receiver one or two yards behind the line of scrimmage, or they just completely blow the play up altogether. And the tunnel screens is a, is a great point, especially um, if hopefully we can get inside, uh, you know, near the goal line there. Um, if the run game's yep. not working, you can get inside the goal line. You see these teams running them so often now um, on that goal line, because there's just no time for you to react. Um, you know, especially if you're creating traffic, if you got a guy in the slot and you, you, you know, you motion that inside receiver or who, you know, whoever you want it to be, if it's a big tight end, if you want to, if you want to give that to a guy like Tyler Conklin, uh, cause if he's got to fight for a couple of yards, then, you know, then he can make that play. Uh, but the, the tunnel screens is, is a, is a great point. And, you know, if you can get closer, you know, to the goal line there, and if you're really struggling in the run game, yeah, I, I think that's a, a really nice option to try to, you know, obviously generate points to, to get the ball, um, to get the ball in the end zone. And, and Elijah Moore uh, probably, uh, uh, you know, kind of goes unsaid probably, but um, you know, you want to win man coverage. You gotta, you gotta generate, you know, he's going to be the guy that's going to beat the man coverage. He's the savvy guy right now that I think the jets number one wide receiver, you know, however, however you want to line them up on the field, you know, et cetera. But he's the guy that you want to go to. Um, and, and if you're looking to beat man coverage, and I think Elijah Moore, you have to generate touches for him. You know, even if it's, um, you know, kind of some rub plays, some pick plays, you got to put these guys in the best position to win. Um, again, like you said, if you just line these guys straight up, then, uh, you know, you may be in trouble. But that's where it comes in, where Michael Floor has got to be the Michael Floor that he was more towards the end of the year. And let's just say, I hope we don't see a Mike LaFleur that we saw in the opener last year against the Panthers. Cause I do think, um, you know, early on, it's kind of, it's easy to kind of get fixated on maybe what you thought was going to work. Um, and, and, you know, maybe the plan that you had, you kind of got to be able to adapt, not just throughout a football season, but throughout the football game altogether. Um, and when I was doing the, the Zach piece, I kind of kept going back to the Panthers game just because I wanted to see how he looked in the debut. And I really thought early on, they just kept, it, it was kind of the same thing over again. It was kind of, you know, listen, if, it, if it's not working, throw it out. the You got to throw it out the window. You can't end up, you know, kind of coming from behind because in a game like this, if you're behind, um, your chances are you're not coming back. That's just that's just going to be the way it is against this team, Lamar, the run game, et cetera. Um, and so really what I'm going to be looking for, obviously Elijah Moore altogether, but can Mike LaFleur adapt throughout the game if the initial game plan, whatever they believe that is right now, is just not working. Don't beat a dead horse um, and, and expect it to change at some point, adapt throughout the game. One thing you mentioned, James, that I like is, manufacturing touches for our studs, especially Elijah Moore. And one thing we talked a lot about last year uh, that they didn't really show during preseason at all, uh, maybe they didn't want to show anything, is jet motion. I'd love to see a lot more jet motion with Moore uh, and just really uh, get this defense uh, a little bit more spread out. And then if that works, you can play off of that. You can fake your jet motion, and it opens things up uh, to the opposite side with tight ends, maybe, or crossers with Wilson. There's so many different things that they could do, but I think manufacturing touches with more, uh, especially with jet motion or, or anything of the sort, would do wonders. And off, off of that, uh, Matt, as well, and I guess this is a question for, for both of you, and obviously we know from last year, Mike LaFleur, the Jets, they love the condensed splits right? The bunch formations throughout yep. the year. I mean, we saw, we saw so much of it and I don't want to say I don't like it. Cause I do. I think, I think it, you know, obviously 
you're also helping out your your young quarterback in a sense because it, it you're gonna have the corner most likely playing outside leverage, and if he's not you could just take advantage of it all day. And I know there's a thousand other things that work off of the whole condensed split, but, you know, is it going, would it be beneficial? And not to say that you just now you're generating a brand new offense for one game, but is it beneficial? Do you guys think it's more beneficial for the Jets to kind of spread out things just a little bit more, especially with, you know, kind of that attack that they'll bring up front. You know, if you got condensed, you know, condensed splits and you're kind of running, you're kind of clogging up um, a little bit of the field. You're kind of playing in a hallway in a sense, if that makes any sense, um, you know, rather than using the field, it's 50, you know, 53 and a half yards wide or so, you know, is it more beneficial for the Jets to say, Hey, maybe we spread things out here. Maybe we generate some holes, um, you know, on the outside, give guys more space and play a little bit more, um, you know, in space and, and not throw the condensed splits out the window, but, um, you know, maybe we look to do it in a different way, um, you know, in week one against this Ravens defense. James, I am so glad you brought this up because this was basically the next three points I had on offense, just all rolled into one. Um, I completely and totally agree. They have to spread things out a little bit. They, they cannot stay in these condensed splits and these tight formations, every play and every formation, regardless of personnel, regardless of whether it's an inside run, outside run, play action pass, short pass, screen, whatever. I get the reasoning for it. I do. It makes it very hard to press your receivers when you have guys like Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson and Corey Davis and you give them free releases, let them get some leverage advantages. There gives them better opportunities in the passing game. When you want to run wide zone and you're trying to get to the edge, you're bringing the defense closer. They're not as wide. You can get a shorter corner that you have to get to and you have more space to run to the corner if you need to widen things out. I get the reasoning for it, but you're 100% right about the points you made about putting things in a hallway. And that's one thing that I saw out of the preseason that I think when we talked about this, Matt, I didn't bring it up specifically, uh, but this was another thing I had on my mind where you had all of the inside runs. They kept running split zone from tight condensed splits. And the whole point of split zone is you're moving the offensive line one way and you're having them down block and you're bringing a tight end back across the grain to try and kick out whatever defensive end you're leaving unblocked. When you have that tight split, you're shortening that gap through the backside. Mm-hmm. When you spread things out wider and you get into a, you know, you force that defensive line and those linebackers to cover more of an edge and spread out a little bit, you're widening that gap. You're giving your back more of more space to run through. You're giving your tight end more time to get over and get to where they need to go. You're not having that defensive end or that linebacker that's crashing down already so tight. So I think for certain plays, they absolutely need to widen things out. And another point that I had, which I said this was a bunch of points rolled in one, which you guys were kind of both talking about before, specifically with Elijah Moore, they got to be not scared to move him all over the field. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if he's an X, a Z, a slot or whatever. I don't care. He's our number one passing target. Get him the ball in as many ways as you can from as many alignments as you can. That doesn't just mean he's going to be our X and he's going to be outside in this condensed split and he'll be, you know, seven yards off from the quarterback. That's all he's going to play. That can't, that's not good enough. You got to scheme him up some matchups. You got to let him win from as many ways as possible, especially with this man coverage. You got to find ways to get him some rubs, to get him some free releases. The whole purpose of those condensed splits is to get things like that. Don't just do it 
for whoever is running the play. They got to specifically target more because he's got to be the guy to win to really take this game over. I think when we're looking at this preview as a whole, it's important to look at kind of one guy in each position group that I think really has to step up at the receivers. It's Elijah Moore for me. It's not even a competition. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, throw weird stuff at him. Throw, put him in the backfield with the uh, with Carter. Let right. Them, uh, <laughs> I think the more looks you throw at the Ravens, the more they'll be able to target in on him. Uh, and the joy of Moore is that he is that utility receiver that we can use in so many different ways. So don't put him in a in a in a phone booth. Uh, don't have him just do one thing. Use him many many different ways. Uh, and yeah, he, he is the guy that needs to show up because we're kind of relying on him to to be that guy this year. Uh, and if he's not that guy, then that then all eyes go to Wilson after that. Uh, but all indications is that he is ready to take that step. So now it's just about him actually taking it. I have one more point for this game on offense, guys, that I wanted to throw at you that we haven't really brought up specifically, but I think is something we need to talk about. And that is how do you handle the Ravens blitzes? Because they're going to happen. And just like, you know, Wink Martindale before them, the Ravens have a new defensive coordinator and Mike McDonald. But McDonald spent seven years of his career before 2021 in Baltimore under Martindale, working in their secondary and with their linebackers, goes and spends one year at the University of Michigan under Jim Harbaugh, the brother of Ravens head coach John Harbaugh, works as the defensive coordinator at Michigan for a year, replaces Dan Brown there. And then comes back once Wink Martindale leaves for the Giants this coming season, 2022. Now Mike McDonald goes and joins back in the Ravens, takes over the defensive coordinator role. This is very much going to be the same Ravens defense it's been for the last handful of years. There's not likely to be much schematical change because there really is no reason to be. They've had success running this scheme for so long, and they have so many great players that know how to run it. They're going to be successful more than likely than not. So when you're judging how do you stop them, a big part is how do you stop these blitzes? And one thing that I specifically think, if you're going to have a shot to beat the Ravens, you have to have some times where you can't be scared to go max protection when you know a blitz is coming and try and beat them over the top with some deep bombs. You can't be scared to do it, whether it's Flacco, Wilson, whoever. You got to have a quarterback back there that isn't going to be scared to take a shot. You got to have the offensive line that isn't going to be scared to hold up in protection. You got to be willing to throw some tight ends and only have two or three out in a route. But if you know that zero blitz is coming, even though it's Marlon Humphrey and and Marcus Peters and, and Kyle Fuller and those guys out there, you got to trust that Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson and Corey Davis and whoever else is running routes can go in and prove that this defense has to back off. You can't just beat blitzes with screens. Like I said, tunnel screens. I think that's a good way to generate some free yards. It can't be your only answer. And it can't just be, you know, hot throws like we saw with Adam Gase and Sam Darnold in the ghost game when we're just going to throw hot for every blitz. That's our answer. And the Patriots will have no idea what we're doing. You know, they can't just do that. You got to have some balls and you got to be willing to fight fire with fire and take it to the teeth of this defense. You got to be willing to throw some bombs. Oh, absolutely. And that's kind of why I think we're at a better advantage having Flacco in this game instead of Yes. Because I feel like he is light years ahead of Zach when it comes to uh, first blitz recognition uh, and staying cool under pressure. Uh, Even in the the limited preseason snaps that we saw with Flacco, uh, we saw all-out blitzes a few times. And even though one of them led to an interception, that was more just him doing whatever the hell he was doing. But at the same time, 
the the entire offense they picked up the blitz well he had the time uh the only thing we we didn't see is the receivers really working back to him uh he didn't really try to to air it out uh uh but at the same time they did their job in picking up the blitz he did his job in not really panicking at first so i think now that the the rust is kind of knocked off that yeah maybe now is the time that where he really takes advantage of this so I'm not an offensive coordinator. I don't know if I ever will be, um, but I feel like it. it's somewhat cliche of, of an answer, but I think you have to start off, you know, not in a, hey, we're just going to run, we're going to run the ball in the front. Let's just say that the, the Jets get the opening kickoff, right? You yep. know, you know, you know, Baltimore's coming, you know, coming hot. You know, they're going to be aggressive all game long. Show Baltimore and and Mike McDonald there that, you know, you're not afraid to counteract whatever blitz that he's going to throw. Right. And that first play of the game is cliche and may stupid as it may sound. I'm going to I'm going to run a I'm just going to run a halfback screen. I'll put Flacco in the gun. I'll put Brees Hall to his left. I'll put Michael Carter to his right. And if they're going to bring pressure, I'll just counteract it there. In my opinion, there is really nothing. Um, and I'm sure there's a whole bunch of other things, but there's really nothing like, Hey, that first play of the game, we're expecting the fire off, you know, whatever blitz we have called. Um, and there's nothing like looking and you see Brees Hall's back and he's going for a gain of 20, 25. Now it's not going to stop them from blitzing the entire game or, you know, being aggressive, but all of a sudden that first drive, it kind of puts you back on your heels just a little bit. And the jets can't feed into the aggression by saying, Hey, we're just going to try to go, you know, mano y mano first drive. If we can run it, you know what? Great. If we can't, then we'll just punt it and we'll, you know, we'll move forward. And, you know, third down, all of a sudden you have your, your wonky, you know, pass play that you called up and it's a three and out on the first drive of, of the season. So for me, um, yeah, you know, we mentioned the wide receiver and the tunnel screens and stuff, but you know, I, I, I would, I would give the ball, I would let guys rush up. Um, obviously Flacco doesn't want, want to hold the ball for too long. Uh, let those linemen release and let's see how the linebackers react. If they bring the blitz, that's fine. Um, because it, it, if it, if it happens to work, you're just putting them on their heels just enough on that first drive to all of a sudden you're now giving guys confidence moving forward in that first drive and you work with it from there. Everything else, obviously Mike McDonald isn't, you know, going to be like, oh, well, if they, if they throw one screen at us, then I'm, I'm going to stop blitzing the entire game. He's going to eat, you know, he's going to be aggressive, but ultimately you give your guys the feeling that, okay, we can counteract it. And then for the rest of the game, we just have to communicate. And you're right, Andrew, if it's got to be a max protection to fight it off, you got to do what you got to do. And you also have to make sure, you know, yeah, it, kind of the the old adage is, you know, as many double teams, as many double teams as you can. Um, and then you don't want any little guys on any big guys. So if there's a matchup there where, you know, you don't want to, I think it happened in one of the college football games over the weekend, um, you know, a, a, a small guy, a running back. Uh, you know, got matched up in pass pro on a defensive end. And I think it was the LSU game. Uh, it, it, those matchups don't work. So not only do you have to communicate, but you got to make sure uh, that the matchups are set up properly. And if you got to get the ball out of your hands, um, you know, quick, then I trust the guy like Garrett Wilson. Hey, listen, I, I get it. You know, and we, I think we all get it. Their, their defensive back kind of matchups there. And Garrett Wilson's a rookie, but 
Hey, listen, sometimes you got to trust your guy. Sometimes you got to say, listen, I'll put it up there for him. Um, and it's either my guy or no guy. And if he makes a play, he makes the play. If not, um, you know, then you come to the sideline, you go back to the drawing board and you kind of move forward. But yeah, for me, uh, I, I'm throwing a little bit of a, ha- you know, some form of a halfback screen that first play to see if I can counteract in, you know, an aggressive defense right off the bat. Yeah, I love that call. I absolutely love that call. I think that is a great way to show them that you have answers, that you're not going to walk in and be like, okay, they're blitzing. What are we going to do? We have no idea. Um, I definitely think it's a good way to keep the linebackers honest. Uh, And I think, yeah, I'm all there for it. I think you give, I think you let it be Carter and you let Carter get an opportunity to weave through some tight holes and pick up whatever yardage you can. And I'll tell you what, James, I already have the second play drawn up in my head. So you call your halfback screen on first down. You get on, you know, however many yards you get, say you pick up a first, you get 12 yards. Great. You move the chains. Now it's first and 10. You're, you know, at the 37, assuming, and you come out in a two tight end set. You put Conklin and Uzama to the left and you have to the right in another one of our condensed formations. You put Garrett Wilson on the outside. You put Elijah Moore in the slot. You have them right off the the right edge next to where Fant's going to be. And you call a little bootleg. You run bootleg to, you know, fake outside uh, wide zone to the left. You have Flacco roll around right. And hopefully, if you're lucky, you you get Marcus Peters matched on the outside with Garrett Wilson. And if that's the case, you let Garrett Wilson run an out and up. You let him go out from that little, you know, condensed split to the outside, get three or four yards upfield, round the cut, making Marcus Peters think, oh, he's the rookie. He's not. He's telegraphing it. One, two to the outside, third foot, foot in the ground, cut back up field, bang, right up the sideline. You have Elijah Moore run a deep out route behind it, and either Marcus Peters is going to fall and jump, try and jump the out and up. He's going to be wrong, and Garrett Wilson's going to be free up the sideline, or he's going to trail it, and you're going to have Elijah Moore with a leverage advantage coming from that deep out behind it. You have one of your tight ends drag underneath, underneath. coming from the other way. There's your third check down. If nothing's there, you throw it away. But I think you could get Garrett Wilson a big play on the second play of the game and really test Marcus Peters and say, oh, you want to be jumpy? You want to be aggressive? Right. You think you're going to steal something from this rookie? We're better than you. Go, ch- You got to be on your toes. With, like He's going to fool you too. So I, I really think that we're saying you can't be scared of this defense. If you try and play, you know, we're going to be soft, bend but don't break, take what's there, take what this defense is going to give us. This defense doesn't give anybody anything. You don't, they don't give anything. So you have to take everything that you get from them and force them to back up first. I really think they have to be the aggressor. Another play that I just thought of out of nowhere uh, to really take advantage of that aggression. We were talking about how their corners are going to want to be really physical in press man uh, and how a wide receiver screen might not be the most uh, uh, effective uh, idea. But how about a fake wide receiver screen? Uh, I remember this working very well against the Colts, who are also trying to be very yep. physical. Mm-hmm. Shout out Jeremy Bates. Yeah. Uh, fake that that wide receiver screen and make it a go route to, to Wilson. I think something like that would be uh, definitely an aggression uh, killer. Uh, and yeah, it, I, I'd rather us try to set the tone yeah. rather than try and guess what they're doing. Because... Yes, we can guess, hey, they're most likely going to be aggressive. Uh, but maybe they're not. Who knows? Maybe they they try something new. But trying to play that game of what are they going to do, uh, I think is not what we want to do. I think we want to be the aggressors on offense. 
And the last thing I want to say about this that I think is a really, really crucial point to the game overall, you have to get to an early lead. You can't get down early. You can't have it be 10 nothing at the end of the first quarter. You'll never, like you said, James, earlier before, you'll never get back. You'll, the, the Ravens' run game is too strong. They'll hold the time of possession for too long. You have to be explosive on offense early so that then you can hope your run game can take over and you can grind out some drives later in the game afterwards. If you don't come out swinging early and jump out to a lead and put points on the board, it's going to be a long day. Yeah, it's got to be, it's gotta be sevens and not threes. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you have to capitalize on your possessions because they're going to be few and far between. And if you're not on top of that, you get a little bit to an early lead. Now the Ravens aren't going to run the ball as much. Right. They're going to spread things out. They're going to have to throw. They're not going to be, you're backing them out of that. We're going to be in our two tight end, two back pistol sets and grind the ball down your throat every play. <laughs> You know that you scare them out of that a little bit because they can't afford to play that way. And the best way that this team can do that is by scoring points. Now, what if we can stop the running game? Well, let's get to the defense then. <laughs> I think that's that's a, a good transition. Matt, you brought things up, so I'll let you go ahead and jump on the sword there. How do we stop the Ravens' run game? Well, uh, it all comes down to first stopping Lamar Jackson and containing Lamar Jackson. Uh, I remember the game against the the Dolphins where we would have uh, two guys run up field and then their offensive line would be already be like five yards down the field blocking and Tua could just escape and make and take giant chunk plays. Uh, Vitor actually uh, wrote a great article uh, outlining his keys to to winning this week. Uh, And he pointed out how our defensive line is not our defensive line of last year how these guys are athletic freaks when we're talking about Clemens, we're talking about Lawson, uh, we're talking about JFN, we're talking about Solomon Thomas. Uh, all of these guys are built differently. Instead of not going to using... mention Jermaine. Oh, and of course, Jermaine. There's so many guys. <laughs> I'm, I'm that, so it, personally it, offended right <laughs> now. Wow. There's so many studs out there that are perfect for containing a guy like Lamar Jackson. Uh, yeah, if you, yeah, I'm just thinking back to JJ's tape and how many times quarterbacks thought that they could beat him to the yep. edge and he, they were not able he to. He was chasing down jet sweeps to the edge, let alone quarterbacks. Exactly. So I think that we finally have these guys that uh, all on the field at the same time, they're able to contain a guy like Lamar Jackson and really force him to do something that he doesn't want to do, which is pass the ball. I mean, he will pass the ball, but... Uh, maybe we can take care of that also if uh, we force them to pass to who we want them to pass. If we take away uh, between the hashes to to Andrews, to Likely, uh, and really force them uh, outside the hashes to, to their wide receivers, where I think we have an advantage. So... On 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 defense, and I'm trying not to be like too much of a Debbie Downer on this one, um, but a little bit of a, a backstory. So like when I first started or decided that I was going to, you know, do that, like do this in terms of, you know, put my football opinions out onto the, the social media world. Um, I still have a really, really good relationship with my high school football coach. And so I would send him some things and I'd be like, Hey, you know, like, what do you think about this? And, um, you know, he'd give me some feedback and stuff. And, and one thing he, one thing he always told me, and I'll, I'll, I'll always remember it every time I'm watching film doing certain things is he'd say, listen, at that level, 
there are certain guys, you can have the scheme, you could have whatever you want, all perfectly set up. There are some guys that just transcend the chalkboard. Um, and one of those guys is Lamar Jackson. Um, you know, he is hundred percent, a hundred percent. He's one of the guys that, you know, listen, I, do I know how to stop Lamar Jackson? I, I don't, I mean, listen, you got to play, you know, from a general standpoint, you got to play discipline, discipline football. Everyone's got a responsibility. Um, you got to be sound in that responsibility. You have to, whether it run game, pass game, whatever it is, contain them. Um, you know, it, one thing for option wise that I would like to see, you know, if, if they in fact run the, you know, in the option game, which I'm sure they will, um, you know, attack that, attack the mesh point. That's, that's one of the, the things for me, attack that mesh point, you know, the offense in, in, in the option game is trying to create or confuse you. They're trying to say, okay, if you do one thing, we're going to do the other. And based on your, your decision, we're going to go one way or the other. Um, and so for me, it, you know, attack that mesh point, make that decision just a little bit, a little bit more difficult. If you attack Lamar straight away, he's going to hand it off probably the better option for the Jets defense. Uh, but, you know, if, if you go undisciplined and you're automatically boom, right to the running back, Lamar's going to pull it and he's going to, he's going to get in space. You know, that's besides the point of, you know, the gap run scheme, taking advantage of, of the aggressiveness of the front four of, of the Jets defense. I think there's probably no better example of what you don't want to see happen than what happened on Thursday night in Indianapolis last year um, for, for the Jets defense in terms of the run game and and exactly what the Colts did there. Obviously, Carson Wentz isn't isn't, uh, you know, Lamar Jackson, but it's kind of that same that same thing of taking taking advantage of the aggressiveness of the front four, you know. All of a sudden you look up and and the offensive linemen are, you know, if you're, you know, Quinn and Williams, whoever it is, you know, you look up and you're looking at Jonathan Taylor's back or, you know, J.K. Dobbins is back and and linemen are at the second level already. So, you know, in, in the run game, uh, you got to be disciplined, but there is a factor that, you know, I keep seeing on, on Twitter, you know, hey, you, you know, this is how we do it. You know, put a spy here and, and you could do that. Guys can be in perfect position and people still have to realize that Lamar Jackson's going to get his on Sunday. It is yep. a matter of the Jets being able to either, you know, do the same or on the important downs, third down, actually make a play in the red zone, you know, keep him out of the end zone, force him, force him, you know, force him the three points. But, you know, Lamar Jackson, for me, I, I maybe I maybe I'm putting a little bit more praise on him than I think most people or some people do. You know, you can point out the, you know, the passing numbers for him, you know, him in the past game. And of course, he loves the tight ends. Mark Andrews is a problem. Um, we have a little bit of a linebacker problem, so that's not good. Um, Isaiah likely he's going to get, he's going to get play. He had a phenomenal preseason. Um, and he's a guy also that you, you can't just chalk him in as if he's in the game, he's going to, you know, it, it's, it's a, you know, it's a pass, but he can block as well. They can be really creative with him. Um, and so, but overall, I mean, Lamar Jackson at the end of the day is the key to everything. Um, but you have to realize that. And, and I think the message more so, you know, uh, I'll leave kind of the scheme, you know, to, to, uh, to Jeff Ulbrich and maybe that's a bad idea. I don't know. But um, at the end of the day, I think the message that you have to give these guys, you know, listen, they, they know what they know what they're supposed to do. Right. I think the message to the defense has to be, you know, if Lamar breaks one, don't get discouraged. Right. 
next play, next play, next play. Don't worry about what happened on the play before, because if you do that, the game, if you, if they worry about Lamar going 45 on play four, um, it's going to be a long day for that defense. And so guys have to step up. Guys have to be a leader. You have to throw the, the previous play out and play for the next play and keep them as best as possible out of the end zone. Lamar Jackson's going to get his, but the Jets could very well have a, a, a really, really big issue on defense trying to stop Lamar Jackson and everything else that his talent really comes with. He's the best athlete on the field. He's the best athlete in the stadium. You know, wherever you're at, he's the best athlete. Um, and, and and he can he can really be dangerous in terms of if he gets outside contain on you, um, he's probably going to run. Uh, but he's also going to look for if if it's there, uh, you know, an option an option downfield. And if that's Mark Andrews up the seams or, or whatever it might be. Uh, but he's he's also, in my opinion, an efficient passer. So he's not just going to you know rely on the run game and then okay, kind of guess on the passing downs. If, um, you know, if you just leave it to, hey, we just have to stop the run game, I, I really do think we can also have a, a, you know, a problem covering these tight ends and getting stops on on the big downs. Yeah, James, sorry I couldn't. Was, sorry if that was too negative, but I it just I, <laughs> no. I just like I keep I keep seeing on and I don't mean to like, you know, it's just like we don't really have it's hard to figure out what the answer is only because even if you have the answer you, you, you have a really good chance that he may still just burn you. Um, and yep. that's kind of how you have to live with it and not get too discouraged as the game goes on. So you can continue to just compete and compete, um, you know, to try to keep him at least out of the end zone, uh, you know, for, for a good portion of the game. No, I, I want to, I'll start by saying I completely and totally agree with you about Lamar and his talents and how you, you feel about him and rate him, you know, uh, in terms of his talent, it's hundred percent warranted. But flat out, period. So he is your old high school coach uh, is saying it perfectly. Some guys transcend the chalkboard. He's a million percent one of those guys. Yeah. There is maybe ten players in the entire in the entire NFL, regardless of position, that are as fast as Lamar Jackson. In terms of put them in, uh, put them in a race. Have them. If Lamar would have ran a forty at the combine, I'm telling you, it would have been sub four three five. Oh, like yeah. it's no doubt. like easy. Yeah. So he's when you're saying he's the best athlete in the stadium on more, most times uh, in most games that he's in, you're right. You're hundred percent right. Spying him is pointless. We don't have anybody that is a spy that is going to be remotely quick enough, fast enough, explosive enough, or agile enough to keep up with it. There's no point you're giving, you're giving him yards by doing that because he's going to burn the pursuit of whatever player is spying him. So for me, when you're talking about containing him, I think, again, it, it kind of goes back to not being scared and not being passive. If you just want to say, you know, we're going to try and keep everyone in, in, in our spot. We're not going to be, you know, come downhill too hard. We're going to try and, you know, be passive and let him run to us. That's not going to work. So specifically with the read option, the one thing I want to say is, Please, for the love of God, Jeff Ulbrich, run scrape exchanges when they are running read options. And for anyone that doesn't know what a scrape exchange is, there's a handful of ways to defend a read option. Like you were talking about, James, when you have the defensive end that's crashing, if it's going to be a true you know, zone read and not sort of a mid, uh, 
a midline option or anything like that, which the Ravens do run. And that's another issue they got to worry about, but we can hit, I'll get to that later. Specifically with the zone reads, you're going to have that defensive end who's going to be unblocked and he's going to get the choice of, I'm either going to stay backside and I'm going to play contain in case the quarterback keeps, in which case Lamar is going to hand the ball off. The running back is going to have a free cutback lane. It's going to be about four or five yards easy every time, if not more. Or that defensive end is going to crash down and try and get the running back, in which case Lamar keeps it, goes around the edge, and there's no one around the edge to contain. A scrape exchange is basically doing both. So you crash your defensive end and have them go after the running back. And as the defensive end is crashing down, you're having a linebacker come down behind the defensive end and scraping off their backside, hence the name scrape exchange. And they are basically swapping responsibilities. So the defense fence is going to crash in. I'm going to get the running back regardless of whether the quarterback hands it or not. I'm coming down on this running back. And this linebacker, regardless of whether the quarterback hands it or not, I'm going to be out to the edge to tackle the quarterback if he tries to keep it and run to the outside. That is my answer for read options. It's been my answer as a uh, an analysis for read options for as long as I can remember. And I don't understand how it isn't every defense's answer for read options. Because as long as you have a defensive line on the interior, as long as your interior doesn't get completely and totally destroyed to where that running back can just take the ball and run to the front side and doesn't have to worry about the defensive end crashing, you're pretty much going to be okay. Now, this is like what you're talking about, James. Sometimes you draw things up well, and you have guys that are going to beat you anyway. There's a chance that the Jets do that, and they have Quincy Williams, for instance, coming off on the scrape. And Lamar keeps the ball and Quincy's got him wrapped up one-on-one and Lamar spins him out of his shoes and runs to the edge and picks up 25. That could happen. That doesn't mean you need to change what you're doing. That doesn't mean that that call was bad. That doesn't mean that, oh, we need to to defend this differently now and we'll just give it to the back and let them gain seven. Well, maybe that offensive line is going to drive everyone off the ball and that gain seven is going to turn into a gain of 30. We don't know. But you got to be willing to be aggressive. You got to be willing to take your chances. And if you get beat, know that that's going to happen because you're not going to win without taking those chances and making some big plays on defense and taking the ball away. And the last thing I want to talk about looking at, you know, like we're talking about defending the read, defending Lamar and his scrambles is the defensive line in particular. We keep saying, you know, play, be disciplined, keep contained. You don't try and, you know, be over aggressive and get out of your gaps. What does that mean specifically? And what do we want to see specifically out of the line? This is one thing that I go back to. I don't know how you guys feel, but Mike Zimmer is one of my favorite coaches, period. Just his defense and his schematics, I think, are fantastic. And I'm not saying, you know, he not trying to sit here and defend Mike Zimmer and say, oh, the Vikings were shouldn't have fired him or anything like that. Just talking about him as a defensive coach strictly. He's an excellent defensive coach. And the one thing that he always does better than maybe any other defensive coach in the league outside of Belichick is know how to teach his defensive line to rush with contain. Specifically, it's a good comparison to the Jets since the Vikings were a four-man front, very similar cover three, single high, four, three inspired. Jeff Ulbrich had two guys in Anthony Barr and Eric Kendricks that played for him under UCLA that went up to the Minnesota and thrived in their system. So same idea. The defensive line in Minnesota under uh, Mike Zimmer always knew how to rush with contain and have every single member of their front cover a different gap. So that's what it kind of means by play with contain. It's not just have your guys to the edge and not have them getting too far to the outside and giving lanes inside or getting too far inside and giving lanes to the outside. It's about layering your pass rush. So when you're rushing the quarterback and you have a defensive tackle, 
you want to have at least one of your guys as a defensive tackle. Sure, you want them getting pressure on the interior, but you want one of them kind of hanging back and watching the front of the pocket in case the quarterback steps up to where they can quickly disengage, go in and make a tackle. You want one of your pass rushers that's coming around the edge, taking a wider angle in case the quarterback is trying to get to the outside. That way, if they get to the outside towards them, they're already wide and they'll run right into them. Or if they run to the edge to the outside, they're taking that wide angle and can chase and pursue. Your other defensive end, you want them kind of a little more to the inside in case the quarterback tries to skip around or take that inside lane, or maybe they can drive or collapse the pocket and collapse the tackle and push the quarterback into that other help. Your last defensive tackle, you want collapsing the pocket, taking away that lane to step up. Everyone has a role. Everyone has a function. And it's so much more detailed than just, here's our four guys, go get it. So I know the Jets don't play that way. And that's what's so scary. And that's why we're so concerned is that there is, we have our front four in our minds. It's go kill. We're not going to worry about playing contain. It's cause as much crazy havoc up front as you can. And the guys behind you will clean it up. I think you've got to be more coaching staff and schematically. It's not the players. That's the one point I want to make. The players need to be disciplined too, but the coaches need to make their scheme play with more discipline and teach their players to play with more discipline specifically for this matchup. Otherwise they're going to get gashed and there's not going to be anything they can do about it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, And yeah, we've been talking agnosium about the, the coaching staff kind of, getting unstuck from their ways and adjusting to what needs to be adjusted to. Uh, and they haven't shown really the willingness to want to do that. Uh, and I don't think anything's changed. I, I, I don't think you've seen anything that shows that they've shown any signs of changing at all. Uh, I think it's going to be what it's going to be. Uh, and yeah, we, we talked about how Lamar's going to be elite, but I think we need to force him to be elite if we can do that that's a win on its own uh because if we just make things easy for him then he's just gonna tear us up all day no you guys are absolutely right and i didn't really intend to make it seem like just lay down and lamar's gonna do whatever he wants to do mm-hmm. but it you know it, you, you guys are you know absolutely right and andrew it, it was a good point um on the option and listen i'm a sucker for option football uh, so I, I got to back you up. Did you say they run midline? The Ravens run. Oh midline? yeah. Yeah. They run midline. Run that, they run out of the they run midline. Yep. They run pistol midline. They run, they run gun midline. They run triple option. They run sweeps. They run counters. They run, um, they run a, a very, they run a split zone option where they run, it looks exactly like split zone and then defensive end crashing. Lamar either keeps it. And then he's got the tight end running on the split as a blocker to the front side, or they run a play action off of that. And then the tight end leaks out to the flat and it's a bootleg. Yeah. They, they run a, a million different types of, of option plays more so than just the read option. So I want you to finish what you're talking about, but then that was going to be the last point I was going to make is how do you deal with all those other plays? I'm going to get to that. In a yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. Cause I, I, I mean, midline, um, you know, obviously from, and for, from what I know about midline and I ran a little bit before, but um, you know, that's more your, your inside, your inside. Yep. Option, right? You're, you're reading the defensive tackle. You're not correct. reading the defensive end and the, so, the, the roles are reversed. So if the tackle right. crashes down, then that's going to be when the quarterback is going to hand the ball off because the running back is going to go behind them. And if the tackle is kind of staying there, then that's when they give it to the back. And, you know, it's, yeah, it's slight, slightly read differently, but it's read from the inside more than the, the outside, like a read option, like a zone read. 
Right. Yeah. And, and I have a, I have a chalkboard in my basement, so I, I kind of drew it up here, but um, yeah, right. So when, when you're, when you're running the midline, you're kind of, you know, as a quarterback, you kind of have to take a step back because, because that, that running back is going to come almost straight up the centers, you know, what, uh, because the, it, let's just say they're running it, you know, running it to the, to the right. So that, that right guard there, um, he's basically going to, it's basically almost like an Olay. If there's, let's just say it's a one tacker, you know, it's basically an Olay and, and, and let's get, get to the second level. Cause as a quarterback, you're reading that you're reading that defensive tackle again, right? If he crashes, then Lamar's yep. pulling it and he's going inside. And then if he, you know, if, if for whatever reason, which maybe not out of the question, you know, someone comes entirely, um, you know, uh, entirely upfield, then you're kind of just, uh, you know, which is probably a possibility for the jets here. Uh, you know, y- you can give that there. So with the, with the, the scrape, right. As you call it, uh, was it scrape? Yes. Scrape exchange is scrape is exchange. The, so the term, how does that, how does that differ? Right. Uh, from a defensive perspective, if you see the midline, Who's who's now who's now scrape who's now replace like who's now rep, uh, I guess exchanging right because now because mm-hmm. I, I definitely yes. from a, from an outside zone uh, or I don't want to call it an outside zone but let's just call it you know your traditional zone read zone from read. a shotgun yeah. um, you know you're you know Lamar's reading that defensive end and that linebacker that's over the top there he's going to be the one that he's going to be the one that exchanges so mm-hmm. is it you know uh, is it somewhat similar in this, or, you know, is it, maybe it's harder to read. I'm not really sure, but when it's, when it's kind of in, you know, when you're running that midline and you're more inside, you know, is it, is it more difficult to defend in terms of if you're doing the, the scrape and uh, the scrape exchange uh, versus a midline, as opposed to a, a, like an outside zone read type of option? Uh, it's a completely different ball game, quite honestly. Okay. So, yeah. and, and how you're going to go about defending it, at least in my opinion, because you kind of can't really scrape exchange a midline option because when you're yeah, running a midline right. option, yeah, with the way this, the design, you have the running back, they're going to be coming from side to side and they're going to be kind of taking a sweep action. Almost that defensive yeah. tackle is going to be left unblocked. If the tackle goes chasing that running back, then it's going to leave a gap wide open up the inside. That's when the quarterback quarterback just keeps it and goes right at the gut. If the defensive tackle kind of stays backside and waits for the quarterback, then the running back is going to be able to take it. Guard is hopefully going to be able to get a good reach block on that tackle who's standing still. And then it kind of becomes outside zone and the running back's taking it on a, on a sweet path. Mm-hmm. You can't really do anything inside to stop, you know, a, a scrape exchange with any sort of crash. Cause if you crash that defensive tackle in, then you better hope that your linebacker, is either screaming down right there to beat the quarterback and God forbid you're wrong and it's a play action, then it goes over your head. There's still a bit of a risk of that with, you know, the zone read and a scrape exchange. But the positive to that is that when you're running that scrape exchange, if it is a play action, that linebacker is now basically free off the edge. And so they can, you're hoping they'll be able to get in and go since they're my responsibility, regardless of what happens is get the quarterback pass, run, keep, you know, pitch, whatever. That's what I'm going to go and do. You're hoping that they can come off that edge and maybe get some pressure and get to the passer before they get the ball off. You're hoping your other linebacker behind them can kind of shift in, replace, you know, where they want to go. That's where it's a schematic thing. If you're going to have a guy scrape exchange, it's really important to kind of have. I like doing it with rotating, like rotating safeties. So okay, yeah. if you drop a safety down and that becomes your exchange guy, then you rotate your safeties behind them, corners, replaces, you have your other linebacker expand out. That's like, that's kind of how I would run it. I don't know if the Jets are going to do much of that. I don't know how they plan to do it schematically. I think this is going to be a big game for Jordan Whitehead. I think he is going to be the guy that might be tasked with keying on all of those tight ends. Uh, and 
playing things to the outside, but with the midline in particular, and this is the one of the last points I wanted to make on defense before my biggest point that I've been saving for the end, but number one for me, and this may seem counterintuitive, but I'll explain what I mean. I think if the Jets try and come out and play a bunch of exotic fronts and unbalanced lines, and we're going to have, you know, three defensive ends to the right, all further than a three technique, and we're going to have Carl Lawson singled up as a nine on the other side, and we're going to have one one tech in the middle and just have these crazy line splits with wide open gaps in between, the Ravens are going to eat them up. They're going to absolutely eat them up with their power run game, with their midline options and things like that. They're going to have a way to, to the Ravens and Greg Roman and the way that their run game is, is scripted. Greg Roman is a great coach in the run game. His passing game scripts are not that special. There really isn't anything to write home about. No one around the NFL is going to sit there and say, Greg Roman's an amazing pass designer, you know, among the likes of a Sean McVay or a Matt LaFleur or anything like that. No one's saying that. His run game is like that. And he can sit there and go, you're leaving the left B gap open. I have four runs off the top of my head that I can audible to that'll attack that wide open B gap and be a big game. You have to be, and this is kind of goes back to the point of being contained and being disciplined. You have to have a balanced front. You cannot play with an unbalanced line. You cannot play and try and overload or, or try and do like the, we've seen the Jets do where they'll run some of their double mug things, especially on third down, they'll run that mug pressure look. I'm sure they're going to do it some, and if you do it in the right times and against the right calls, you know it can still be effective. But that, to me, seems like you're asking for some trouble, where if you are bringing everyone to the line of scrimmage and you're not having anyone come from different depths and you're kind of spreading yourself out from the defensive line perspective, I think you're making things easier for the Ravens. So when it comes to that defending that midline, I think you got to play balanced tighter fronts on defense have two defensive tackles close together in the middle so it's not just that's your scrape is one of them chases and one of them stays backside it's not so much your you know the linebacker is going to come downhill and replace on the defensive end who's going to be unblocked we're just going to have a tighter formation to start with where it's not just going to be that one defensive tackle we're going to have our linebackers close behind him we'll have another defensive tackle close to it we'll have a five tech defensive end on the strong side the other way that's you know hopefully going to crash down and and take away that front side edge to the running back you got to be balanced and you got to have people in basically as even of a position as you can to cover as many gaps as you can. You can't just, if the, if the Ravens come out and it's third and seven and they see an overload look from the jets, they're going to run counter away from it. And it's going to be a first down. So I'm, that's a big point for me is stay balanced. Don't run any sort of crazy exotic fronts or formations. You have to disguise a little bit. Like we've talked about before, Matt, in our, you know, couple of weeks about this defense overall, and that you can't just come out and run spot drop cover three, 17 times in a row. But at the same time, you don't want to be too complicated. You don't want to be too exotic. You don't want to leave too many open gaps, especially in the past game as well, where I go back to where I was talking about the start about rushing with contain and having guys each have a lane and a responsibility. You don't want to just leave wide open gaps for Lamar to scramble through. If you cover everyone downfield, which is going to be the goal, he can still make you pay with his legs. You don't want to make it easier for him to get out of the pocket. So you got to be balanced and you can't take... I think it's about being the tougher team and being the more sound team. And if that means lining up in the same, you know, standard balance formation, every play, then that's what you got to do. And this is unfortunately why I don't really think we have much of a chance (laughs) this Sunday Uh, (laughs) is because I don't think we're at that point where we're going to be 
in the right place more often than not. I feel like the Ravens are a winning team. They have a winning culture uh, and they are built on the foundation where of being in the right place where we're not yet. And the fact that they're this far ahead of us, I think just kind of settles that what we have to really go against. And I just don't think it's possible this early in the season. Maybe we, we, we get in a rhythm when uh, we really settle down into the roles and, and recognition that we, where we need them to be, but I just don't think we're there yet. It's very likely that we are. And that's the, the, the really sad thing is that if this Ravens game was week 15, I think the jets would have a much better shot, but this is a, a really, really tough matchup to get week one. And the Ravens are an established team. Their culture is one of the best in the NFL. I'll, I'll put John Harbaugh up there with any one as any other coach you want to talk about. I think he is, you know, towards the top tier of NFL head coaches and doesn't get spoken about it that way, but he deserves to. This is a good team. It's not like the Panthers last year where it was, you know, they're going through their own rebuild and, and, you know, they've made some improvements and they might be the favorite, but it's not by much. And, you know, there's still some some arguments you could make, even with the Jets when they weren't as talented as they are this year. You know, the Ravens are well established for a reason. So I think the point I want to make, you know before I get to talk about the last part about the defense, and I'm going to get your guys' opinions on that as well, is even if this ends up being a loss, I think it's really good for them to play a team like this and put up a good fight and prove that even if they do lose, that they can hang around with them. That's where be the aggressor. Don't come out and be passive. Don't get bullied You know, from the, from the snap. Make it a fight. Make it a game. And, and make some chunk plays and prove that you can, you can go toe-to-toe with this team and even if you don't win in the end, that you have things to build on, I think that's going to give you a lot of confidence for the rest of the season outside of just trying to go in and lie down and hope you don't get beat too bad. I, I'd go down swinging if you're going to go down at all, would be my thought. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If they can do that against this team early, yeah, it sets the stage uh, for a very uh, maybe favorable uh, first 10 games. I mean, everybody looks at the schedule and they see these world beaters that we're going to be playing. Uh, and it makes these games not so, you know, scary if we can go up against the Ravens and really show that we do belong. Um, it, of course, it's still yet to be seen if we can do that. But yeah, I, I think they have the ability to, they have the talent. Uh, I'm reminded of something Flacco said uh, in the last uh, one Jets drive and how this team, they have the confidence. They're young, and they know how good they are and how good they can be. Uh, but at the same time, they haven't done it out on the field yet. And I think that means that they're kind of setting themselves up for a humbling moment where they realize that they need to really put it together out on the field in order to actually be as good as they think they are. And- and how, how important is that for, for, for coach Sala too? Um, I mean, you know, the, the competitive aggression, I mean, you got to come out firing um, uh, week one in MetLife stadium on nine 11, you know, against the Ravens year one is in the books. It's year two. Now you watch all these, the flight 2022 and the one jets drive and, and how much, you know, hype is kind of, you know, in the draft room and in the, you know, in, in the meetings and, and all that fun stuff. But it, it's like, 
the time is now for us to actually see it. And I'm not saying they, they got to walk in, right? It's, that doesn't mean they have to walk in and just outclass the Ravens. It, you have to be competitive. That that All of that energy now has to manis, manifest itself on the field in a effort Jets just never, ever lay down in. Um, you know, they, they throw some punches, maybe they get knocked down a couple of times, but they get back up. Also that whole energy that Robert Sala brings on the sideline that actually has to manifest itself within the white lines from whistle to whistle. Um, and I think that's really important for him to get off to that start because it, the, you know, the honeymoon is over with, you know, the 52 to 13 Patriots game coming off a of bye week, you know, those, those days have to be over. Um, and so even if you don't win, um, but you have to show that you are capable of knocking some doors down and you're not going to be the one to ultimately fold in, in the big moments. And I think, you know, it, it it's going to be a long season and there's going to be a lot of games to show it, but I think Rob, for Robert Sala's sake, he's got to show that it's, it's it's right now. We're not waiting till week five for that for that stuff to to kind of show up on you know on the, on the field and uh, you know have the result be what the result you know is going to be. Yeah, I'm going to go something go back to something you said at the start, uh, James. When we were talking about Zach Wilson, it's a long season. There's 16 games after this one game against Baltimore, and, and this might be you know we were just on the optimistic side. I'm going to go a little bit from the pessimistic side here. It's a really bad look if they lie down in week one. It's a really bad look if they come out and get down 10 points, you know, 14 points or whatever. And that's it. Like we've seen so many times with the Jets, the Jets are done, game over, pack up, no point in staying in the stadium any longer. Get out to, you know, get out of the MetLife parking lot now while you still can. It's that can't happen. Point blank period. That's unacceptable. That is flat out unacceptable for year two, for the veteran presence that has been added, for all the talent that's been added, for the hype, for you know the, the results that we saw last year, for the players we're expecting to take leadership and have leadership over this team. And everything that we've seen, there's no indication that, that would be the case. So if that really is what happens, and right. the second there's any sort of adversity, which is something that Salah talks about a lot, that they fold, that's going to be really concerning. Luckily, I can say in my gut, I honestly don't believe that's going to happen. I, right. I genuinely believe that Salah has built the type of team and the type of locker room that doesn't do that, that rallies themselves, that, that doesn't get down when things look bad early. We saw it in the preseason, that despite the fact that they were playing with backups and practice squad players, some that aren't even going to be on practice squads, they got down in every single game and never gave up and come, came back and won every single game. Maybe it was Chris Trevler magic, you know, who's to say, <laughs> but regardless that goes, that reflects on the coaches that reflects oh, on absolutely. Robert Sala to have his team never give up to never quit, to take a preseason game that serious to where it's not just, we're trying to win for, you know, to, sh for ourselves, to show other teams, to show the team we're on to try and stick on a roster. You saw how happy the entire team was at those comeback wins that starters that didn't play in the game were out there screaming their heads off celebrating. You had Robert Sala running down the sidelines on Bradley and I's uh, scoop uh, scack fumble for a score. Yep. They care. 
they take this stuff seriously. They put in the work, they put in the effort and they care about the result. And they're not just going to get down if things aren't going their way early. There is that grittiness. And I really think that that is going to show through in this game and hopefully springboard them into the future for the rest of the next, uh, the rest of the 16 games of the year. One thing I want to talk about defensively, and I want to get your guys' opinion on this. The We talked a lot about the Ravens run game, and understandably so, because I would think it's obviously the biggest fear. It's their main area of attack uh, offensively. They have a quarterback that's probably unquestionably the best running quarterback in the NFL, and all of that is well and good, and that's its own threat. But you're right, James, you said it earlier. I think Lamar's a perfectly fine thrower. I don't think he's Pat Mahomes or Josh Allen or Matt Stafford or, you know, some of the elite of the elite quarterbacks, but he's by no means bad. He's by no means incapable. And I don't think that it's if you just go, oh, just make Lamar throw to beat you. I don't think it's that simple. I think he can throw and beat you if you give him the opportunity. My question is, can these receivers beat you? Because if you give him an opportunity to throw, that's all well and good. He still needs someone to throw to. So we were talking, you know, covering Andrews and likely that's going to be a problem. We're going to have linebackers, you know, in question. I think that's Jordan Whitehead's area where he's going to really step up. But I'll tell you what, guys, we just spent a lot of money in high draft picks on some cornerbacks. It's time they prove their worth. I'm leaving Rashad Bateman one-on-one with Sauce all game. And saying you were a first round pick. Well, we just took this guy fourth overall. We think he's pretty good. Go, go lock him up, Sauce. Don't, don't worry about getting beat deep. We're going to leave you man on him, regardless of where he goes this entire game. Or even if they're going to play left and right, then if it's DJ Reed on the other side and you get one on one, okay, leave those two guys in single coverage and, and dare these wide receivers to win on the outside. I think Lamar is better throwing in the middle of the field than he is to the outside. I think he's always been that way. That's where they want to target Andrews and likely in the tight ends outside of getting the ball to them and the flats off of their read options and play actions. But when they're talking about their drop back pass game, the schemes aren't going to be that complicated. Greg Roman isn't going to be out there scheming up rub routes on every single play or or the type of motions we've seen from Michael Floor, where it starts as a wide split and then they motion things in tight. I remember seeing this in practice uh, to Garrett Wilson specifically where the Jets were in cover three. They start uh, split out wide. They motion Garrett Wilson in to a tight split and they run a dig route. And with the motion, it gets DJ Reed, who's the left uh, outside third corner. He comes in and then he's aligned with outside leverage to Garrett Wilson at the snap. And Garrett Wilson's running an inside breaking dig route. And it got him that leverage advantage to kind of get inside. Greg Roman isn't going to do that. Greg Roman isn't going to be that technical with his pass game. You don't have to worry about getting schemed up on the back end. So trust these athletic, talented, highly regarded cornerbacks to go do what they do best and lock these guys up. You have to put your focus in the pass game on the middle of the field and on the tight ends. And if that means bracketing Andrews, and that's what it means, I think you got to leave the leave the corners one on one. Dare them to beat you. I trust that Lamar can do it. I don't trust the receivers can. So yeah, you mentioned something about Sauce one going one on one with the with Bateman. Um, I mean, I don't see Sauce switching sides. Uh, I think it will be. Uh, him. Uh, we don't know who's going to be the other starting quarterback right now because Reed is still uh, coming back from a knee injury. Uh, I believe they'll reevaluate after tomorrow and we'll get a more definite answer with Reed. Uh, but if it's Hall, I don't know if I trust Hall against really anybody. <laughs> I know he had a pretty decent year last year and I believe he led the league in pass defenses, uh, passes defended. But at the same time, he's 
had games where he just gets beat like a drum, where he looks a lot like he did against Pitts in preseason. And yep. I it wasn't just Pitts. Reed. It wasn't just Pitts. I, I trust Reed. I trust Sauce. I don't trust Hall. If DJ Reed can't play in this game, that's going to suck really bad. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be that's going to put a damper on things defensively and how you have to go about defending this team. Uh, and if God forbid it is Bryce Hall, then I think I think Sauce has to travel. I because the Raven because Bateman will never go to the right side of the offense. They'll just never bother to put him up against Sauce. And if the Jets are going to willingly have their best receiver go against their worst corner uh, defensively, then that's on them, I guess. But I, I think if if DJ Reed's not playing, then Sauce Gardner has to shadow Bateman. I agree. He has to. But whether they're willing to do that, I don't know. That is the question. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is where you have to be pretty confident, right? Um, if you're you're a Jeff fan, um, you know, I got the names down here. You got Bateman, obviously. Uh, you know, Devin Duvernay. Uh, James Prochet, Tylen Wallace. Uh, I mean, I remember Tylen Wallace from Oklahoma State, but I'm not really sure what exactly happened uh, to him since since then. Um, I know it wasn't all that long ago, and he was effective there. But you're not really talking about anyone that's um, you know that's you know uniquely established in you know in the NFL and and sauce. Yeah, listen, you take him, you take him at four. Um, you know, you can't be afraid to just say, Hey, listen, this is this week, this is your job. Um, and I, do I think that they'll do that? I'm not sure. Um, you know, if that's, if that's the way they're, you know, they're taking things or is he just going to be kind of right in, in, in the boundary, uh, you know, for, for most of the game there. But, um, but I think this is where you have to be really confident because you're right. And you're both right in terms of, you know, Lamar, if, you know, if, if, if Lamar beats you because he, you know, he's throwing down the sideline all game long. Um, then, you then know, you listen, tried your best. <laughs> then, yeah. Then, yeah. Then, right. Then, you know, you, then you did what you could focus on everything else and then say, okay, listen, if at the end of the day, we stop all of these things, right. That we've, we've just talked about. And at the end of the day, you look and you say, we decided to leave sauce Gardner one-on-one in his rookie debut. And Lamar was just tossing dimes over, you know, over Bateman's shoulder all game. And that's how they beat us. Then you say, okay, all right, well, we did what we had to do. And, but I don't think that is ultimately going to be the way that they beat us. So, I, Andrew, I think it's a good point. You focus on everything else. You took the guy at four. He's supremely talented. Take Bateman out the game, um, you know, and, and really for everyone else. And, and for Hall, um, I, I don't know if a rep can actually get as bad as uh, it was that one in the preseason, whatever it was, a couple weeks ago. Um, you, you know, it, that's, that's like a – that's like a an alarm. Like you sound the alarm. Yep. Corner cornerbacks yep. get cornerbacks get beat. I, I that I get. It's the nature of the position. Um, but I mean, listen, you're clearly in in coverage against Kyle Pitts. There, um, you got it. You you something's got to be going through your mind a little bit differently on that kind of play. And for you to just kind of have cement feet as that guy is just running right past you. Not you know his feet weren't active. Once he bro- broke his cushion, he didn't even try to turn a run. He just did nothing really at all. So that's a that's a rep for me where I, I do like Bryce Hall. Um, and, but u- ultimately, you know, a rep like that kind of really sounds the alarm. Like, hey, is this you know what's the, what's going through this guy's head? You know, you know before the snap in in a sense there. So um, hopefully DJ Reed can play. But I think this is the area of 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 the matchup that you know I feel at least you know really confident about. And I think a lot of people, a, a lot a lot of other Jeff fans should should as well. 
Yeah, I don't want to spend too much time talking about Bryce Hall, but I think we do need to talk about it because <laughs> there are there were some really serious concerns from that Falcons game. And I don't want to gripe on one game. I know he, you know, rebounded in practice against the Giants, didn't play as well in the game, but rebounded in practice. And he's very likely to play some snaps at corner at some point this year. And a lot of people were sitting there going, you know, at the end of last year and during last year, oh, Bryce Hall's so underrated. He's so great. You know, we have this number one shutdown corner. Look at that. And then the Jets go and sign DJ Reed to a $40 million deal and draft Sauce Gardner fourth overall. So clearly they didn't think so. And I know, Matt, you can attest to this, but you go all back all the way to the end of the year where before the draft and through free agency when they signed DJ Reed and then after the draft again, after they took Sauce, I, I said it. I said this team doesn't like Bryce Hall because he doesn't play the ball. He gets past deflections, but they want turnovers. They want interceptions. They want guys who can get their eyes on the quarterback and aren't just going to play with their back turned and pass up opportunities when quarterbacks throw prayers to covered receivers that the ball's just going to bounce off the back of his helmet. So the the issues that we had with him, he was way too confident in his athleticism for not having the sort of quick twitch that he needs to play that way. Like you talked about him having cement feet against Kyle Pitts. That's exactly what it was. He stopped his feet. He didn't get contact on. He tried to slow play things and play things from the top down and basically backpedal his way against the Kyle Pitts out and up. And the second Bryce hesitated the slightest little bit on the little out, uh, Pitts was able to go right up the sideline and there was no immediate turn. It was a slow turn. He didn't turn and recover. Later in the game, he gets beat on the post route for the touchdown. And it's the same thing. It's slow feet at the snap. It's I'm not going to get my hands on you. I'm not going to jam. I'm not going to, you know, convert to trail. I'm going to try and play stack. And then you're going to cross my face. And I'm not going to know what happened because my feet are dead and I'm too wide and I can't shift. That is not his play style. He needs to be the type of guy that is pressing and getting into a trail position and funneling to the sideline and not trying to be Caleb Farley. That's Caleb Farley's game. Let Caleb Farley in Tennessee go and do that because he's an absolute freak of nature and backpedals faster than most guys run forward. That's not Bryce Hall. So for Bryce Hall, if he is going to be playing in this game, I think you're not going to see the Jets be as risky with their coverage early in downs. That said, if Bryce Hall is in this game and you get into the third down situations, that's when I think you have to have sauce travel. If they are playing man or if there is any possibility that Bryce could be singled up uh, onto the outside on any one-on-one situation on a third and long or a third and seven when you really need to get off the field, make sure that he either has some help or that he's going against someone like Duvernay or Prochet. Because if he's going against Bateman, I think that could be a really, really tough matchup. And this has got to be a huge game from Michael Carter the second. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to to go off on too much of a tangent, but unsung hero of our defense this year is going to be Michael Carter the second. I doubt he's ever going to come off the field because it doesn't seem like they have any plans for a backup for him. Their their plan is Michael Carter is going to play every snap on defense. He'll be fine. Yeah, as soon as they got rid of Gidry, that's exactly what I was thinking too. <laughs> there really isn't much of a of a backup uh, uh, plan B for for no uh, Michael Carter. Uh, but back to Hall, yeah, it, it, against the Falcons in preseason, it just looked like he lost confidence. He lacked confidence pretty much every snap he was out there, and they didn't stop targeting because of it. Uh, he needs to find that confidence and uh, and show it on the field. But that kind of brings up a, a, another question that I've seen people bring up on Twitter and, and other places. 
is maybe they don't go to Hall. Maybe they go to Eccles. I think I'd be okay with that. I, I quite honestly, I think I would. I think Brandon Eccles is twitchier. I think his ball skills are better. Uh, I'm worried that just like we can say with Bryce Hall, Eccles started practically just as many games as he did last year. And I think towards the end of the year was playing even better. And the Jets still felt the need to replace both their outside corners, not just one. So there is some concern there, but I really think that with this defense and how they play and how they want their guys to play that Eccles fits things better. I think his play style fits things better. And I think that he's twitchier and would be more able to hold up one-on-one on on those third downs and those man-to-man situations going against a guy like a Prochet or a Duvernay, where I think I'd rather have Bryce Hall on them than Bateman, but I'm still worried about them and the quickness that they possess being able to, to cross Bryce Hall's face and get open over the middle for a quick gain. And then Hall can't recover. So I I'm fine with, with playing Eccles if Reed can't go. I think you have to try it. I really do. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I think if Reed can't go Hall will probably get the, the starting snaps along uh, opposite uh, sauce. Uh, but if he falters, I think he's got a short leash and they'll, they won't hesitate to, to throw Eccles back out there. Let's say that the the stat line is is one target for Sauce. Would you take the over or the under? Over. <laughs> for for one target. He's a More rookie quarter. Over. It's the NFL. They, even if it's Sauce Gardner, they're going to say, we're going to test you. That's why I said let him go on Bateman because I think Sauce is good enough to steal a couple of those balls. And, yeah, I would say I, I, I over one. It might be three, but it's going to be more than one. No. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking like two. <laughs> it's, it's such a, it's such a crazy question. It's such a cool question for like the fact that he, it's going to be his, you know, his debut, and it just seems like there's a little bit of hey, you know, um, let's avoid that guy at all costs potentially. Um, you know, maybe not, maybe not. Let's not let's not be the one that the ones that learn the hard way. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, and I'm fine with, uh, you know, Eccles or, or Hall. I, I really don't know if you can make um, like a, a uh, you know, a 100% argument that, you know, Bryce Hall was far and away the better cornerback last year. They both had their struggles and Eccles came along pretty nicely. Um, I, I don't think you can, you know, you could just say, oh, hey, one is no doubt that, you know, or, or Hall at least is no doubt better than Eccles. And it's kind of a, they put themselves at least in a nice situation where, hey, listen, if DJ Reed can't go, at least you are throwing someone out there that you have some kind of idea of what they can do and they have NFL experience. So I think that's also a positive, but um, yeah, Hall, uh, not sure really what was going on there with at least the Falcons game, um, but it, it all together just it just was not good, and you can't have that kind of performance in you know a regular season game that that truly truly counts, especially against the Ravens. No, especially against a team like Baltimore, they will they will pick you apart. It's the you cannot give up anything for free against the Ravens because you're not going to get anything for free the other way. Uh, and those sort of moments we've heard Salah and the coaching staff talk about it, this all the time, those third downs, those fourth quarters, those, you know, game on the line, got to have it moments. You're not going to get anything for free on the Ravens. You can't give them any of those for free either. Last thing I want to talk about on defense before we get to our predictions, the way the Ravens go about their offense, like we've talked about, with all of these tight ends, with these read options, 
the formations and groupings that they use. It's a lot of stronger sets. It's a lot of two tight ends. It's a lot of fullback. They have Pat Ricard as a fullback, his former defensive tackle that they use all the time in the run game. They're going to put Andrews, likely probably Charlie Kohler, even whoever in the backfield. And it's going to be a lot of power football. It's going to be a lot of big man football. So if you're the Jets, I think an important part for this game, and I'm really kind of upset with myself that I haven't brought it up yet, is you got a key on your personnel. You got a key on who the Ravens have in the game and how they're aligned to where you can maybe get some tells on what plays are going to be coming. I know, Matt, I was telling you about this off air before we recorded, but speaking again of that Dolphins game, when I went back and watched it today, the Ravens had a play where it was a 22 personnel set from the pistol. They had two tight ends split out to the right, kind of in a condensed split. And they had Devin Duvernay as a receiver out to the left out wide. And they were in a pistol set with Lamar and uh, Devontae Freeman and Ricard in the backfield. And they called Duvernay on a sweep and he runs across the formation like Lamar's going to hand him a bubble and then keeps it and then flips it out to Duvernay to the right. And he's got those two tight ends out in front of him. The tight ends get out and they get right up on the cornerbacks. And it's like a nine yard gain on first down. And my first thought was the Dolphins corners were playing man coverage on these tight ends are like eight yards off. And in my head, I'm going, those are tight ends. You have to get closer to try and get on them and shed the block and and get in their face, because if they get room to run and they get on you and get their hands on you, they're going to be able to win that matchup. You got to be able to key on the personnel and say, well, look, they're bubbling this guy over and there's two tight ends here that could be set as blockers. This looks like it could be a, a makeshift bubble screen. You can get some tells for some plays and you can steal some plays if you can get your keys on formations. And the one thing that the advantage of having this long to prepare for this game, Salah had said in one of his recent press conferences that they've been game planning for the Ravens since the schedule came out. That it was basically the next day they started going through their tape and, and coming up with the game plan offensively and defensively. And I think this is where in the Jets defensive meeting room, we've talked about this before, Matt, their biggest acronym is CAKE. C-A-K-E, and it stands for Call, Assignment, Keys, Execute. Step-by-step, what that means is you're a defensive player. You're on in the huddle. You're waiting to get the call for whatever the, this play is. You get the play call. That's the C part. That's the call. That's obvious. You know your call. You think about it. You go, okay, this is what we're doing. Assignment is your specific assignment within that call. What's my role? What's my job? What am I responsible for? Where am I being? If it's zone, which zone am I in? If it's man, who am I manned up on? That's your call. K, keys. That's tells from the offense. You're looking, okay, it's this formation. It could be first down, second down, third down, down and distance be the factor as well. What is the offense in formation wise? What personnel do they have? That's going to be a huge, huge, huge part of this game for me is keying in on formations, keying in on personnel and not letting the Ravens steal some cheap plays by not recognizing that they have some guys in some funky spots. If you can pick up when they have guys in funky spots, you can kind of get a tell for what's coming and you can shut down those kind of trick plays or gadget plays before they happen. A lot of those plays are either big plays or busts and you want to turn as many of them into busts as possible yeah you're mentioning how long they've been game planning for this game uh that also kind of just keys in on the importance of not looking like a bunch of clowns out there uh because if they throw a dud out in this game after game planning for this long uh what's that gonna say it's not gonna say anything good no, it's not. No, it's really not. And if they come out and say we've been game planning for this long and then it's the exact same game plan we've seen from every other team, then that's not going to say anything good either. Yeesh. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, it's rough. This is going to be tough, guys. Let's get into predictions because this could be fun. I think it's not going to be fun for the Jets in the end, but I think it could be fun for us to go through. Uh, I'll go ahead and lead things off. I uh, already had predictions on the leave-in Jets the other night with Lamont Jordan. Um, I'm going to stick to the same prediction I had on that show because uh, I feel the same way now as I did then. I think the Jets are going to put up a good fight. I think this is going to be an improved roster. I don't think this is going to be a blowout. I don't think this is going to be a game where we're leaving, going and saying the Jets got destroyed and they're just as bad as they were last year and there's no improvement. I think it's going to be close. I just think the Ravens are too experienced, too talented. And I think Lamar is going to do enough of those magic moments to pull things out in the end. Ravens win 21-17 in a close game. Ah. Uh, I also have it as a close game. Uh, but I don't have it being close the entire game. I think the the Ravens are going to really overmatch us early in the game, uh, maybe go up two scores, uh, and it's going to look pretty dire. Uh, but I think that that grittiness that we talked about earlier is going to kick in. Uh, we're going to really bear down on defense, and maybe Flacco or, or Zach or whoever's starting uh, really starts to find a rhythm uh, and sneak some scores out. Um, I think in the end, the Ravens are going to pull out the win, uh, but not as big of a, of a, of a blowout as maybe some might predict. I'm going to go with, uh, 2016 Ravens. All right. So I got my score prediction. I'm going the Ravens, um, as well, but I'm going to go 27, 17 Ravens. Um, and I, that's a 10 point difference, but I don't think it's going to indicate just how close the game is. I think both teams struggle in a sense to start the game. I think we see those, you know, uh, that first game of the year working out some kinks. Um, you know, Lamar is, you know, injured for a while, didn't play in the preseason, things of that nature. I think we see a little bit of a struggle from both teams to start the game. Um, and I think it's a close one late. And I think Lamar ends up making one more play in the fourth quarter, um, you know, that that pushes the, uh, um, you know, maybe the win from right underneath the Jets. I think maybe we go into the fourth quarter and it's a it's a 2017 type of game. And uh, and the Jets are in a position where they just have a, you know, a little bit of a difficulty stopping the run. And, and Lamar makes one play that that kind of seals the deal there. So I think I think they're going to put up a good fight. Um, I'm excited. Um, but I do think that later on, I think Lamar makes one more play that puts it right out of reach for, for the Jets. And, and we go into week two kind of, you know, starting to build off, build off of some things, but I do think it will be probably a lot closer than whoever on NFL network ESPN and, and those places, uh, probably have those, those scores. Yeah. I think we're in agreement with that, uh, is that this is going to be a hard fought game. I think the one thing we can say about the Jets is they've certainly gotten a lot tougher and a lot nastier than they used to be. And when you're playing a team like Baltimore, you have to have some level of toughness and nastiness because there's few teams around the league, if any, that are as tough and nasty as they are. Uh, and if you don't have any way to counter that, then it's going to get really ugly. I think the Jets, and this is one thing that I think is a really good point to end on, the Ravens, I think, are a model for what we want our team to look like. That's that's the end goal. Joe Douglas spent most of his career before he got became a GM in Baltimore. That's really where he he learned everything that he learned was under Ozzie Newsom and, and under guys like Brian Billick and John Harbaugh and, and plenty of others and Eric DaCosta that have been around the Ravens organization for years and built it into what it is. And that's a consistent winner at their worst. They're they're 500. And it's been that way for for years now. 
regardless of whether Flacco was the quarterback or Lamar Jackson after that, or they stub in injuries and different guys come in and out on defense. And they have Ray Lewis who's coming out on the end and they just draft CJ Mosley. And then CJ Mosley goes and leaves with a contract for the jets and they draft Patrick queen and they are just, they just rebuilt and they never seem to be in, in that state of having to completely rebuild. That's the goal. And so I think for the Jets, being able to hang with a team like Baltimore is going to say a lot about where they're going. It's going to say a lot about their future. It's going to say a lot about potentially the rest of the season. And for the direct immediate impact of the game afterwards, if they lose a close game to the Ravens, it's going to piss them off. They're going to say, dang it, we worked all summer. We could have had it. We were in front of the home crowd. We were trying to make a statement. We think we're better than that. We were this close. We know we can do it. We can go out there and do it again. And they're going to walk into Cleveland looking to raise hell. They're going to yeah. walk into Cleveland looking to go show some people that, no, we could hang with the Ravens and, and we just made we just need to clean up one or two plays and it's going to be a different story. I would not want to be the Browns in week two if the Jets lose a close game to Baltimore because I think the Browns are going to be they're going to have targets on their backs. The Jets are going to come out swinging in week two, and I think it's going to be for the best. Yeah, if they if they lose a squeaker to the Ravens, yeah, then the the anger I think is something that will be prevalent, uh, and you can build off that for sure. Uh, uh, yeah, because it it will show that they weren't exactly where they needed to be, but that they belong, and that alone will push them even harder. If they get blown out, then I think it's it's a different story. Uh, I think that then they're trying to rethink their entire mindset at that point if they get blown out. But yeah, if they can show that they hang against the Ravens, uh, then yeah, look look out Browns. Yeah, I want to I want to I want to watch a football team or, you know, go on social media or you know, put on ESPN and I want I want like teams to feel like, "Hey, okay, we're playing the Jets this week, you know, and the main takeaway is we better buckle up the chin strap, right? Tighten it up, whatever you yep. got going on. Um, that's the kind of, and I think that's, Andrew, and you said before, I think that's the kind of team that Joe Douglas and Robert Sala and all the, you know, what they're that's trying the to Ravens. build is. Yep. Right. Exactly. It's, it's, Hey, listen, we got to go, we got to go to MetLife this week and you want it to feel like a drag rather than excitement. Hey, we get to go to MetLife and play the jets this week. You know, you know, less of a joke, more of, you know, it, you guys better come to we're gonna, play. We're going to leave we battered and bruised. Well. Yeah. Yeah. We're, right. we're going to walk yeah. out of there bloody and we are not looking forward to it. Right. Exactly. That's the kind of team I want. And I think that's where they're hopefully headed. And I think we're going to find that out on, on Sunday for sure, which is going to be really, really fun. Yeah, I really think so too. And that's the, uh, and this is a, a weird situation for me where we, the schedule has been announced for months now. The Ravens are, you know, an established team that have been established for a long time. This is not really a situation where I think the Jets have a chance to win, but I think it's pretty regarded that they're the underdogs for a reason. And the most likely result, as we said, is that they are going to end up losing. And I've had months to kind of be okay with that. I've had months to kind of come to terms with that. And when they're losing to a team that's so talented and been talented for so long, you can kind of, it doesn't hurt as much because, you know, you expected them. You weren't surprised that they went out like if they were to lose to the Jaguars or something. But I'm sitting here thinking, you know, as we get close to the, the year, we're less than a handful of days away, gone through the preseason, gone through the draft, free agency, you know, all of this offseason that's been craziness from top to bottom. And I'm sitting here looking ahead at this season. And I can honestly say 
I have never been more confident that we're going to see improvement. I have never been more confident that the team isn't going to lie down and be dead by week three, that there's going to be a direction for the future and that there is going to be things to build on. Even if this isn't the year to, you know, turn things around, make the playoffs, go win the AFC championship or, or anything like that. I think this is really going to be a year to spring springboard things forward for the future. And I'm excited to watch them play the Ravens, even if they lose. I think this is going to be a fun game. I think this is going to be a really enjoyable game. It's the first real game of the year. Uh, you know, how can it not be exciting? How can it not be fun? This is what everyone's been waiting for for months now. So don't freak out too much. Don't worry too much about going out there and making a statement and getting a win. Would that be awesome? Yeah, it would be great. But the most important part for this team is oh be competitive. God. Don't back down and do everything you can to, to put some quality yeah. tape on and come out ready to uh, swing next week. I really think that at the end of the day, that's all. It's what it's about. Absolutely. hundred percent. All right, guys, I think that does it for us. This has been quite the long one, but when you get ready for a week one, you got a lot to talk about. James, thank you so much for giving us the time. Thank you so much for being here. Look forward to talking with you again soon in the future. Guys, why don't you go ahead and drop your handles and then we can get on and get out of here. I'm Matt. You can find me on Twitter at Zazzy Jets. Um, James and guys, thanks for having me on Twitter, BSB underscore breakdowns. And you guys can follow the show at OKD podcast as well. Thank you again so much for listening. We'll be back next week to review week one, hopefully with a win, but at the very least, hopefully some improvement in a close game. Look ahead towards week two with the Cleveland Browns. We think that one might be a little more winnable. Thank you guys again. Really appreciate you giving us a listen. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Thank you.